I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by Seamus Donoghue, Metico's VP of Sales and Business Development. Seamus, perhaps you could begin by telling us a little bit about what Metico does in providing security-critical infrastructure. So Metaco is a company that's been around since 2015. We launched our main product in 2018. And from the start, we've been focused on providing infrastructure largely to banks to enable them to integrate, store, and manage digital assets. And when I say digital assets, we're really talking about cryptocurrencies or tokenized assets. So it's something that we've really been focused primarily on the banking community. And that main product was launched in, in 2018, the backing of a lot of the major, let's say, Swiss blue chip companies like Swisscom, Avalok, which is a core banking provider, Swiss Post, which is post office, but also the largest retail branch banking network in Switzerland, and Sigpa. Not a well-known company, but a very, let's say, critical company in the central banking space to provide inks to all the central banks for their banknotes. So you're actually plugged into the central banks as well as the commercial institutions? Very much so. So I really just spoke about the origin when we did the launch of the product, but we've also recently done another, another round of financing, which was led by a German company called Gesecki & Devriant, which is, I think, of the between SICPA and Gasek and DeVriant, they're probably two of the, let's say, four or five major suppliers to central banks globally. For example, SICPA produces the inks for central banks' banknotes. Gasek and DeVriant prints them for, for, for central banks like the Bundesbank. So they're co-opetition, but they're very complementary products in the CBDC space. So as we look at the digital space, there's definitely a go-to-market with those two firms. I was going to say, there's not going to be much call for ink in the digital space. We're clearly a hedge about that future, basically, right? So looking at what you're doing, this is obviously a sector that can only grow in the digital assets take up that we're seeing over certainly the last six to nine months and expecting to see in the next few years. I think very much so. I mean, I think banks are, you know, banks are trying to redefine their space after the credit crisis. I think there's been a lot of, let's say, soul searching about the business model. Fintechs are encroaching more and more in terms of their, let's say, revenue that they can take away from them. Basically, revenue is not necessarily balance sheet related. You know, so I think there's there's a lot of pressure on banks to innovate and the digital asset space gives them a way to do that. Now, I think they struggled with a little bit what that future is. They all know tokenization is something very big in the future, but getting there and investing in that space is, has been a struggle because... I think the WEF talked to, sorry, WEF talked about basically the tokenization opportunity by in the next seven years being about 24 trillion, but it's still pretty close to zero today. So how does it really get traction? So I think what we see is basically banks are looking at digital assets starting with crypto. Crypto is, I would say, still a very small emerging, emerging asset class, but I think there's rumblings of demand from the corporate sector, from the investment sector, for things like hedge funds, some other funds, institutions, endowments, et cetera, that's growing. I think they're responding to that in the sense they're building infrastructure to support that. And if once they have that infrastructure, it kind of gives them a free option on this whole tokenization space that, uh, you know, I think part of the issue is banks don't have the infrastructure, so it can't really get traction. A little bit of a, a negative feedback loop. But once they have infrastructure in place, the kind of the floor, the, break, the, the, the breakout kind of requirements to get really traction in digital assets really gets much lower. So I think that space is everybody's excited about, but uh, that space is moving quickly. And I think the catalyst to get there is really the crypto space. Isn't the problem, as far as persuading the banks are concerned, is that you can't tell me, if I'm a banker, how I'm going to make money out of this? Well, I think that's definitely the problem in the digital asset space. I mean, people come and say, okay, how many underwritings do I need to do in the tokenization space to break even? Well, I think that's just one part of the story, right? There's you underwrite the issue, but then there's a secondary market. There's basically how did the clients hold these things? 
there's all these things that are basically problems still. There's poor issuer quality, there's poor second fragmented secondary market liquidity, there's lack of infrastructure. So yeah, I think uh, it's very hard to quantify how to get that ball rolling. But I think you can look at the crypto asset space, Bitcoin particularly, it's a $350 billion market. You can say it's still small, but you can build a business case around the opportunity there that probably justifies a basic investment in minimal infrastructure. That same infrastructure can then be applied to the tokenization space. So it changes the changes the math of a break-even to them. Well, just to speak still briefly about cryptocurrencies as they currently exist, they're not a currency. <laughs> they behave more like a commodity. They're highly volatile. This is not a medium of exchange. It's a method of taking a punt. I think there's a lot of general the, the general comments about what this isn't or what it is. I think what, what we can see is there's, I think that the big, big objections have been in the past, basically, that this is a highly speculative. There's nothing behind it. There's basically no technology. You can lose all your assets in this space because it's it's not necessarily secure. And there's it's basically built for for criminals, basically. It's black market. I think a lot of these things are, I think there's these things, these notions aren't really marked to market. I think you can look at the AML issue. Well, in fact, I think it's a lot more from a compliance perspective. You can deal with this a lot more comfortably than you can the whole sort of different the kind of global network of settlement networks and correspondent banking. It's a lot easier to track payments across multiple parties in the space, in the Bitcoin space, for example, than it is across multiple correspondent banks. So I think there's more transparency from the AML perspective. Two, on the technology, the technology is mature. So you do have technology to enable this to be integrated into your core banking. For example, we work with Avalok. Our solution is, is a module in Avalok's core banking system. So you can deal with it like any other asset class. So that part's mature. Now, is there anything behind this or is this money basically? Well, one, I would say basically, you know, Jamie Dimon in 2017 famously said this is a tulip bubble will end in tears. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's not worth anything. And just last month, they launched Onyx, basically a whole division that's focused on blockchain, monetizing their, their JPM coin and looking at crypto more broadly. So I think these issues are no longer necessarily, you know, let's say up to date. And I think from an investment perspective, I think it's gaining a lot of ground around Bitcoin particularly is getting a lot, gaining a lot of ground in the, let's say, the hard money space as a, a new version of gold, which is gold 2.0, because it's more transportable, more divisible. It fits, fits more purpose for a world of Internet, the, the world of Internet where you need Internet money, basically. So I think uh, there's a growing following and it's not just young people. I think you can see in very traditional investors like Stanley Druckenmill in the States, Paul Tudor Jones. Some of the, the the famous names in the macro space are viewing this as a hedge for, let's say, out of control fiat spending, let's say, basically, right? as an inflation hedge in the future. So there is growing demand there. Well, let's come back to what your company is actually doing. You yep. talked about tokenization. It is a, a security critical issue that you deal with in terms of what you provide, what you, you mentioned being part of the Avalok solution. Security is only going to become more and more important as we move more towards digital assets, towards tokenization? Digital assets are almost like going back to the future story in the sense that we used to have bearer assets and digital assets are very much the same notion as bearer assets in the sense that if you control a private key, you control the, control the asset. And private keys are, you can think of them as being just a very long, complicated password. So if you have access to that password, that asset is by default under your control and yours in the sense that you can move it, you can control it, you can spend it. So the when you think about technology that needs to manage these assets, it's one, for a long time, banks have used things called uh, HSMs, hardware security modules. They use them for signing transactions, like signing a SWIFT transactions. They're very good at keeping 
the signatures that are used to authorize those type of payments. Now you can use those in the crypto space, but I think the, or the digital asset space, the issue is there's not a lot of the dumb boxes, basically. They, they keep a secure, they keep a signature safe or an authorization safe for the use of that password. But if you instruct them to sign, they sign. So yes, it's safe, but basically the instructions are not necessarily secure. So you can compromise the asset by not necessarily stealing the password, but just by compromising the use of these machines, basically, that authorize the use. So what we deliver is not is a more of a holistic, comprehensive solution around, you know, the not just the keeping these things secure at risk, but keeping their use also secure. Because if you think about financial needs, it's not security, 100% security is not your objective. The, you want to optimize security and availability because you can always have security by taking the secret and putting it in a bunker in the Swiss in the Swiss Alps. It's very secure, but it's not available. So what we deliver is basically to kind of optimize that balance for financial institutions such that they can securely store these things, secure these passwords, and then they can also manage them in a, in a very secure way that enables them to react to real-time use of those private keys that are related to those assets. So it's really the whole sort of life cycle of managing the, the asset, it's always secure and you can operate at scale, meaning you can you can automate processes around these in terms of building in microservices, et cetera, around how, you, how your workflows are authorized, or you can have manual processes. It's all possible to, to basically be done uh, around private keys. So effectively you can take the, this, this new asset class and fit into a bank's traditional risk model, risk framework, the control framework and operate the same way they do in the traditional world now also in the digital world. Seamus Donoghue of Medico, thank you very much indeed.